and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 59, verses 15 through 21. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back even to the ends of the earth. In the west, people will respect the name of the Lord. In the east, they will glorify him. For he will come like a raging flood tide, driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips, and on the lips of your children, and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are in a new series of talks here at Springbrook as of last week, um, where essentially we are going to spend the next few weeks really uh, just asking one single question. And it's this one. Uh, Is God with us? Like, is he even with us? I believe was the direct quote from our scripture last week. Um, So we're going to talk today with that in mind about a big fancy church word, which is sacrament. Um, but in order to talk about that, then we need to talk about a story from the Old Testament, um, which takes place in the Old Testament in Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. Wait, First Samuel chapter 7. Um, and if you're like, I thought we read Isaiah this morning for our scripture, uh, we did. And you are not wrong about that, but we're going to do a lot of Bible today. And I'm not sorry about it. So um, to very much oversimplify, I'm going to tell you about the story in Samuel. Um, The Israelites are once again in a real conundrum. Um, This time, however, it is with the Ark of the Covenant, which um, if you are familiar, the Ark of the Covenant, either with the Old Testament or with uh, Indiana Jones, um, the Ark of the Covenant is their most sacred relic. And so um, it, it, it would it is not just their most sacred relic. It also at the time would have been um, the place where the Israelites believe, like the people of God believe that the glory of God lived and where God's presence actually dwelled. Um, and so their enemies, the Philistines, have taken the Ark of the Covenant um, and taken it to their own land. 
But when they get it there, and when the Ark of the Covenant lives on the land of the Philistines, uh, uh, all of these plagues uh, fall on their land and their people. And so it really freaks the Philistines out. And so they end up returning it to the Israelites. Um, But with the Ark, when they return the Ark, they also send with it uh, a gift, which uh, is uh, five rats and five tumors made out of gold, Um, which honestly has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I just think that's a really interesting part of the story because uh, that's an interesting gift, like golden rats and tumors. If any of you have received one of those, I'd be super interested to hear that story uh, after service today or whenever. Um, But anyway, five rats and five tumors they bring with the Ark of the Covenant and they return the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, But when the Philistines bring it back, uh, some of the Israelites step out of order with God and uh, with the Ark, kind of the way that they handle the Ark. God had really clear instructions about what to do. They handle things incorrectly and it costs them their lives. And so now uh, everyone is afraid of the Ark. Like the Philistines bring it back because they're afraid of it. The people of God are now afraid of the ark. But with that, uh, God's people become afraid of his presence. And so the Israelites uh, essentially kind of hide the ark in a village for 20 years. So for 20 years, they separate themselves from God's glory and from his presence. Uh, And then the prophet Samuel comes to God's people uh, and he uh, tells them, he says, Israel, you have put distance between yourself and God and it hasn't gone well for you. Uh, And so he tells them to repent, which repent is just the big church word for um, not big church word, but the church word for turning around or like turning away from whatever is destroying you or the people or things around you. And so they do. Uh, they repent and they do this this crazy water ceremony that I don't have time to explain today, but uh, they, they repent and Israel turns back to God and they close the distance between themselves and God because for them, distance from God has not been a good thing. And so they, they close that distance back. And when they do that, it makes the Philistines, their enemy, uh, very, very afraid. And um, so they had accomplished, essentially the Philistines had accomplished their mission of separating Israel from God, but now Israel has returned to him. And an Israel uh, close to God is very terrifying to their enemies. And so because they're afraid, the Philistines wage battle uh, on Israel. Um, but in response, Israel cries out to God for help. And so God does this crazy thing with thunder and it confuses the Philistines so much that they're defeated and they end up running, the, running away and the Israelites conquer them. Uh, I'm honestly not doing this story justice. It is such a good story. Um, but to mark this moment, to mark God's nearness to his people, his presence and glory with them and for them, uh, Samuel does this thing where he takes a stone and he raises it up and he calls an Ebenezer. It calls it an Ebenezer, which an Ebenezer is just uh, like a rock of help. It's essentially something that means um, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. And so that's what he does. He he takes this stone and he places it in the spot where uh, the Israelites defeated the Philistines. And he says, uh, this will be our reminder to us and to our children and our children's children, uh, a, a way to remind us of God's help, because up to this point, the Lord has helped us when we've asked. And so to the people of God, every time they pass this stone, it would be a reminder that God was with them and for them, that he helped them, that that they did not have to live their lives separate from him, but with him and helped by him. 
Uh, I actually love the story so much that I got a tattoo uh, of it, um, which, you know, kids don't get tattoos. Well, or you can just wait till you aren't going to get dumb ones. Like maybe wait till you're older. But um, I was 30 when I got my first tattoo and it was these uh, tick marks uh, on my wrist. And I call them Ebenezer's um, because I don't know, you can't really put a stone into your body, but um, I call them Ebenezer's because they are for me reminders of times in my life when God was with me. Um, and so uh, when something happens that is in, especially meaningful for me, when the distance between God and me uh, gets smaller, I add a tick mark and I say, up until this point, the Lord has helped me. And then I add another one and I say, and up until this point, God has helped me. And I add another one, another one. I really want to fill like my entire wing of my arm with them. Um, but I tell the story because it's a practice of God and his people all throughout history, church history, biblical history, uh, to set reminders, whether tangible and physical like stones or tattoos or rhythmic or practices to remind ourselves of God's help, uh, to remind ourselves of his faithfulness and his nearness. Uh, the Israelites experience God's love through symbols, um, but they not not only do they experience God's love uh, and grace through these symbols, the symbols also act as a reminder to them that they aren't just recipients of God's love and grace, uh, but they're also bearers and bringers of those things into the world. And so as we're spending the next few weeks asking the question, is God with us? Uh, it makes sense to me that we would look at some of those reminders uh, in our world and in our church. Uh, the big fancy word for these uh, is sacrament. Uh, sacraments are just rhythms or rituals through which God's people experience or celebrate the presence and power of a divine grace. Uh, different expressions of churches have different lists of, of sacraments, but pretty much uh, all uh, Christian churches overlap on two sacraments, and they are baptism and communion. Uh, and while different churches practice them differently, uh, baptism and communion are universal signs and practices all throughout the churches in like Big C Church, church all over the world, uh, that act much like an Ebenezer stone that Samuel placed in the ground. They, they act as a sign, a symbol, a ritual that declares the presence and faithfulness and help and grace of God in and to his people. And so I just wanted to take a couple of minutes and talk about each of these, uh, because I think in a room where plenty of us are wondering if God is actually with us, uh, these two things can act as an Ebenezer in our lives, pointing us to who God has been to us and who God has been around us uh, in the world and in our lives. And so I think um, I think there's a chance that sometimes church rituals uh, or rhythms have a way of becoming small or uh, or transactional. Uh, like if I do this, then God will do this. If I play my part, he'll play his part, um, uh, particularly if it's something you do every week, like communion. Um, but sacraments like baptism and communion, they they aren't small uh, and they are not transactional elements. Instead, they are symbols of what has already transpired. Uh, symbols that can be visited over and over and over and over again uh, in order to honor and to celebrate and to remember what God has done uh, for us and in us and through us. So um, I just want to take a minute on each of them and talk about each of them just for a bit. Um, I want to start with baptism. 
Um, baptism, uh, the, the, the first time we really see it in the way we think of it now, um, is at the beginning of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, all four of them have a story about Jesus getting baptized and they all tell it really similarly. Uh, he's by the sea with his friends and his cousin, John, uh, John, the baptizer, or John, the Baptist, uh, comes over to them. And John has been baptizing people all over. It was like one of the ways that he was getting people ready for the Messiah, getting people ready for Jesus. Um, And so this interesting thing happens that Jesus asked John to baptize him. And John is basically like, no, like, absolutely not. You should be baptizing me. Like, uh, I'm not even worthy of washing your feet. Of course, I'm not going to baptize you, but uh, I'm baptizing people to get ready for you. And now you're here, like you should baptize me. But Jesus insists. And so uh, these two men who, um, if you know their story, they have known each other since they were in the womb. Uh, And there's this moment where they go into the water and John takes Jesus under the water and he baptizes them, uh, baptizes him. And then uh, in the stories, when Jesus uh, comes back up out of the water, the Holy Spirit uh, like descends on this scene like a dove and God's voice is heard uh, from heaven. And we uh, the people all around hear God say, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Uh, It's a favorite story of mine because it is full of layers and layers and layers of amazing things. But one of them is that baptism goes from being this thing that John did uh, to becoming sacrament for Jesus followers everywhere. Uh, Through what Jesus does, he offers us a practice, a rhythm, uh, a ritual of how to celebrate what he's done. Uh, Jesus, he goes into the water himself. He models this action for us. Uh, The church father, Augustine, says that when Jesus goes into the water, he cleanses it and prepares it for all of us to do the same thing. Uh, He goes into the water, inviting us into something um, that is equal parts symbolic and absolutely wild. And I say that, I say wild because one of the things that makes something a sacrament, one of the elements that, uh, that is required for something to be sacrament is that it is a moment that celebrates the joining of heaven and earth. Uh, It's what happens with Jesus when he plunges into the waters of the earth, a voice calls out from heaven, marking him and saying, he's mine. I love him. I'm pleased with him. And so baptism becomes for God's people a symbol uh, of what has transpired within us, of earth and heaven colliding, a symbol that God has done the incredible thing, that through the cross of Jesus, God went to work on all of the evil in the world, uh, somehow without destroying the humanity of it. Uh, He uh, is at peace with his people. He is with his people at work in us, making us more holy. And and so it is a symbol of our declaration that we want to be God's. And it is a symbol of God's declaration that we are his. Uh, Baptism is the church's practice to declare what the cross dares us to leave behind. But it is also of new life and new hope and fresh work that God is doing in us. It is a mingling of two worlds, heaven and earth. Uh, N.T. Wright, who says most things better than I can, says it like this. He says, uh, baptism is not magic, a conjuring trick with water, nor is it simply a visual aid. It is one of the points established by Jesus himself where heaven and earth interlock where new creation and resurrection life appears within the midst of the old. I love that. Baptism, it it isn't magic. 
It isn't what saves us or rescues us. Instead, it is the thing that points to what has already transpired within us. A new life with Christ in God's kingdom, heaven and earth intermingling uh, in us, in our bodies and souls and minds and lives. Uh, And the reason that's so important to me is because it means that baptism is something that happens in a moment for sure, but also that that moment follows us all of our lives becoming something that we can point to over and over and over and over and over again as a symbol or evidence of God's presence in our lives. Uh, We have been in the water. We have been united with Christ Jesus in the water. And so no matter what life looks like, our baptism becomes like an Ebenezer, a monument uh, uh, that God is with us, that he has rescued us and that he will do it again and again. Uh, Sometimes I go to weddings and I get really weepy because I remember my wedding and I'm so grateful for it. Or sometimes I go visit babies in hospitals or at your houses after you have them and I hold them and I get weepy remembering holding my babies for the first time or my nieces and nephew for the first time. I think baptisms are supposed to feel like that. I think they're supposed to feel like for uh, those of us who have been in the water, uh, they're supposed to feel like a reminder of what has been in us. Reminders that God has been faithful and true to us, no matter what the circumstances of our lives are currently. Um, This is just a side note for parents here. Uh, Your kids are back in their class also learning uh, about baptism today as well. And so that means that they're probably all going to want to get baptized next week. uh, And we'll do it. Like, that's fine with us. Um, We're going to have a tub and we'll baptize whoever wants to get baptized. But um, I do want to say this. Our posture here is that we as a staff want to submit to you. Uh, to what you think, uh, to if you think that your kid is ready. Um, But I would say this, if your kid is asking, honor that ask. Like, especially if they're asking on Tuesday, because uh, they're still thinking about it from Sunday. And so um, if they're still asking, honor it. And here's what I mean by that. Honor it with a conversation. And um, a conversation that doesn't feel like a test that they have to pass. Baptism is not a test that we pass. Baptism marks what has happened in our lives, what we're awake to, and uh, marks our membership in the family of God. And and so uh, honor that with a question. And if you're like, uh, that sounds nice, but I still don't really understand what you're saying um, or know when to do it, uh, just holler at us and our staff can totally help you uh, with that. And on another practical note, um, we don't just baptize kids around here. Uh, We also baptize grownups too. Uh, Whether Jesus is new to you and faith is new to you, or maybe you've just never been baptized. Um, But if you're sitting here and you're realizing like, Lindsay's talking about this point, this this thing to point back to, this, this thing to look back to and remember God's faithfulness. And I don't have that point. I don't have that thing to look back to. Um, If that's you, then let us know, because we would love to talk to you more about it. Um, Or you can visit our website uh, on the What's Happening page, and there's a little form where you can fill out that says, I want to get baptized. And even if you just want information, like, just fill that out, and we'll um, get with you on that. And if you're like, oh, I'd love to, but I can't do it next week, then we're going to find a date that works, because we like baptizing people. So, um, okay, let's jump to the second uh, sacrament. That's baptism. I want to talk about communion as well Um, or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist, depending on your background or your tradition. Um, And if you are interested in more of this than kind of the quick thing we're going to cover today, my favorite book on communion is short and it is wonderful. um, And it's called The Meal Jesus Gave Us by N.T. Wright. Um, And I'm going to borrow a lot from it today, but it is so, so good. Um, 
the sacrament, the sacrament of communion uh, is instituted by Jesus the night before he gets arrested. And he's in an upper room with his closest friends and they're eating a traditional Passover meal. And at one point he takes the bread and he takes the wine and there's normal blessings that go with bread and wine, but he kind of flips the script uh, that night and he blesses these two things with a, with a different blessing, a special blessing. And then he asks his, his followers to put some symbol and ritual around these two particular things to view bread and wine with the memory of Jesus, with affection for Jesus, for his life and death. And we believe resurrection. Uh, but the story of communion, uh, while it seems to begin there, actually begins thousands of years before that. Uh, in Exodus chapter 12, uh, we find the story of the Passover. We talked about it like just barely uh, last week. We were talking about the plagues and the things that happened to the people of, of Israel and Egypt. But uh, one of the ways that God rescued his people in the book of Exodus from Egypt uh, was by giving them very specific instructions. Uh, and he says one night, he says, uh, through Moses, he tells them to sacrifice a lamb to spread its blood on their front door, and then to prepare a very specific meal using that lamb. And then that night, God would pass over every door in Egypt with lamb's blood, and he would save the firstborn son of every single house that followed these instructions. And it's an interesting story uh, in Exodus 12, because God gives, while God gives Moses really specific instructions for what his people should do that night, those aren't the only instructions he gives. He also gives them very specific instructions of how they will celebrate this great rescue for years to come. And in his instructions, he institutes the Passover feast or the feast of unleavened bread. Uh, like the event hasn't even happened yet. And God says, from this day forward, I want you to actively participate in remembering what it is that I'm about to do for you. And so for thousands of years, God's people have celebrated Passover and they've made this specific meal per God's instructions. They've prepared it and, and, and prayed the prayers, uh, the same prayers for thousands of years. And at one point in the meal, the fathers, they would stand up at the head of the table and they would tell the story of great rescue to their children. Uh, generation after generation after generation, the same stories. And they would say, this is how God spared us. This is how God rescued us. And that sounds wonderful, but uh, there's this part of the story that's kind of hard for us to understand because most of us, to the best of my knowledge in this room, uh, aren't Jewish. And so uh, if we were, we would understand this. Uh, if we were Jewish, we would understand that the celebration of the Passover feast is not just to remember events of the past, but to realize for a moment that we are one with our ancestors. Because the Passover meal is not just a celebration of the rescue of those people that one time. Uh, no, the central purpose of the Passover is an awareness of being the people of God. Uh, it is a celebration and realization that they the ones uh, who walked across the dry sea, uh, that, that uh, drank from a rock when they were thirsty, who had bread fall from heaven, they who all of the crazy stuff happened to, they are us. They are us. And this is what Jesus and his friends are doing that night in the upper room, this feast meal. And Jesus is saying, I'm about to add um, a specific practice around that. I'm about to add to this specific practice. Uh, I'm going to add a new covenant for you to celebrate between God and his people. And even though it hasn't happened yet, you will celebrate this meal by remembering what I'm about to do. 
And so every week we do what he asked. We come forward to the table because they are us. Because what God did for his people, uh, for what God has done for his people for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, he has also done for us and will do for us. And because God sent his son, not just for his friends in that upper room, but for us. And so we have this symbol, this ritual, this moment each week where heaven and earth collide. And we celebrate an inward and outward grace through the meal Jesus gave us. And we take small and ordinary things like bread and juice, and we allow them to remind us that God is with us, that he is for us, that he is chasing after us, and that he will never stop doing that. It's what he's always done. It's what he will always do. And so we have these, these, these two things, these symbols, practices, rhythms, and reminders that God will be who God will be, that he will be to us who he has always been. Uh, the scripture lesson that we read today uh, came from the lectionary. So that just means that churches all over the world are reading this uh, passage today from Isaiah. And I can't get over how perfectly it went with what we were talking about, especially at the end in verse 19, when it says in the West, people will respect the name of the Lord. And in the East, they will glorify him for he will come like a raging flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Israel to buy back those or come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them. And neither will these words that I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken for generations. Baptism and communion have been like Ebenezer's to us reminders of God's faithfulness. They answer our great question, is God with us with a resounding yes? My spirit will not leave you and these words will stay. They will be on your lips and your children's and their children's. I am with you. I have rescued you and I will be with you and I will rescue you again. And so together we, we do all of these things because we don't all feel God's nearness at the same time. And so we come together because some of us do and some of us want to. But together we declare uh, to each other and to our children down the hall and to their children that God has and will be faithful. So here's what I want to do. Uh, every week we take a pause at this point in uh, our, ser- our service and we sit and breathe. Uh, it, Selah is just a word that we stole from the Psalms. That's just sort of like a quiet reflective moment. And so uh, I want to do that. I'm not um, going to be super bossy about your time, uh, but I wonder if it would be well used to remember, to just sit aside a few minutes to remember what God has done uh, in a way that might um, open you up to the possibility of what he will do again. Uh, so then we'll come to the table because it feels, I mean, we do it anyway, but it will feel right and good to come to the table after something like this. So uh, let me pray and bless it. And, and I'll give you a quiet minute. Uh, so God, I thank you uh, for the space and I pray that you would bless it. And I pray that you would wake us up to your spirit and your presence in this room and in this moment. 
that we uh, would remember, that you would fill our minds with courage and imagination to look back at what has been. And no matter what has transpired in your life, would you allow us to see your presence in it, your faithfulness to us in it? Um, And would you allow the stories that go beyond just our lives, the stories of our friends, the stories of our church, the stories of generations and generations and generations that have been rescued and chased after by you. And I pray that you would use that to grow and strengthen our faith. In your name we pray. Amen.